welcome to the Coaches Rising podcast. I'm Joel, and this podcast is all about deep transformational coaching, whether that's with individuals or groups or organizations. And we have a lot of people tuning in who are just passionate about this human journey of unfolding and awakening. And so in this conversation today, I'm going to be joined by Bob Anderson and Nicholas Yanni. They've come together recently to collaborate and birth into the world a program called Integral Leadership. The tagline is, the future of leadership is integral, informed by unity. So we're going to talk about what is this program? What do they mean by integral leadership, informed by unity? What capacities come online as we grow into this phase of our leadership? And what are some of the practices we need to take on? And what's the work we needed to do to open into that space? And just so I'll say a few more words about Bob and Nicholas. Bob is the founder of the Leadership Circle and co-founder of Full Circle Group and the creator of the Leadership Circle Profile, which is a developmental assessment tool used by thousands of coaches and organizations around the world. And he's the author of two books I recommend, Mastering Leadership, an Integrated Framework for Breakthrough Performance and Extraordinary Business Results, and also more recently, Scaling Leadership, building organizational capability and capacity to create outcomes that matter most. And he co-authored those with Bill Adams. So Nicholas Yanni is a coach doing transformational work. He works with CEOs around the world and often works with them for extended periods of time. He's trained extensively with Thomas Hubel and is now bringing a body of work into the world called Leader as Healer. And it's a new vision of leadership. He has a a book coming out on this topic next year. So we're in good hands around this topic of leadership. Just a quick word to say, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to sign up to hear about the things we create, which are not this podcast, then you can head to coachesrising.com and put your name in the sign up box. You'll find there on the homepage, just scroll down, you'll find that. And if you feel like sharing this podcast, I'd love to get the word out and have people listen in. So do that. All right. That all being said, let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Bob Anderson and Nicholas Yanni. Yeah, I'm really touched to to be with you both. As I just said, um, my my heart's on fire right now, actually, um, as we're in deep conversations and coaches rising about our future. And as I read through your writing about what you've created together, um, you know, it, it fueled that fire. So I want to I want to dive into that deeply today, if that's okay with with you, Bob, and with you, Nicholas. And how are you, first of all, as well? I'm I'm really well. I'm really present. I'm connected with you, Joel. It's great to be with you again. And. Um, excited to see what wants to emerge in this conversation yeah i'm i'm very glad to be here and very more and more these days i feel on real edges of unknowing and in many ways that's central to our work as well so i'm very curious to see also what will emerge today i was going to say what will we learn this morning about what we're seeking to know. So we're we're actually in the development of this program. We're actually spending a lot of time 
in um, the unknown and listening and speaking what emerges in that empty emptiness. So I'm really eager to see what might emerge this morning. Mm. Well, it feels like we can tune into that space, you know, and have, have it inform us. And maybe um, to give people context who are listening, tuning in, maybe you could just say a few words about this program that you've created in terms of why, uh, why you created it why you feel like it's necessary. I mean, our whole conversation will be about that, but, you know, if you could just give us an overview of what is this program and why is it so important right now? Well, we're in what Martin Luther King called the fierce urgency of now, globally. We need to accelerate the development of conscious leadership, old conscious leadership on the planet in order to see this through. We've done a lot of work in the leadership circle articulating this move from reactive leadership to creative leadership, and that's fundamentally important, but not sufficient to the challenge we're up against. It's going to take leaders who can expand their bandwidth significantly to create, to bring in, to author, to be authored by the future that's trying to come through and must come through. And so We started with the empty space or the unknowing space, and you used the word informed. Like, let's see how that informs. That's precisely the work that we're moving toward. How do we, how, how can leaders become more and more fully present and open to be informed? to have their organizations be informed by an unknown future. And we think that's essential now, that literally we have to reinvent society on every level. Energy, governance, social structures, justice, ecological justice, racial justice, gender justice, economic, I mean, we've just got to reinvent. And when we sit with that, we realize we don't have a clue. We really don't have a clue of what it's going to take. And that's the, that's the, that's the practice. Because if we think we think we know, we're just going to replicate what we know. Mm. 
so there are practices that allow for this expansion of bandwidth in the greater capacity that comes with it and that's what we're about what we're experimenting in yeah so if i um kind of come in in, in a parallel way i would say for me there's some it's like there's a lot that i know you know my daily work for the last years with leaders has been a kind of campaign to stop being so dominated by thinking and to rebalance thinking, feeling, sensing, intuiting. So I know a lot about that. And I know how that works and the pathway of that. I also know because for many, many years, actually really since the beginning of my life in, in work, which was 20 years in the theater, I know about going into very receptive empty high frequency states i know quite a lot about that with this work the more we unfold it or the more it unfolds through us i feel a different level is what we're really um seeing what can birth itself my sense is that it's we called it recently a new level of order because we know a lot, I know, we know a lot about, okay, we take a group into a, a very present empty space and new ideas come. That's already a very, very critical step. Very critical step. And for many leaders, so quite a radical jump. But I think there's something even beyond that, that we're birthing here, which is a kind of, it's some kind of new order of consciousness and what it will mean to really embody something really new, which we don't know yet. So we're kind of together. It's, it's, it takes the kind of courage, I think, together to really go to that edge of what we don't know, while honoring everything we know, but also saying, yeah, but we're, there's, there's a new, something new that's trying to be born here. And that, in a way, is also an essence of the program. So, of course, we'll walk the paths that we know, but we're clear that I do that anyway in my work, so I don't want to just repeat that. I'm acutely aware that there are different there are edges that we already visit in our planning and that we will see what happens when there's a you know, very high caliber group of people have come together. We'll see what happens when the group gradually moves into those edges. I don't think we know yet. Well, I, in fact, I'm sure we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> That's the essence of the work. <laughs> but I'm excited about it. I'm really He's excited. excited. I'm scared. So we, we're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we have different. We know that we have different. Because uh, <laughs> I'm used to working daily in that kind of space of unknowing. But this is another level of it. Yeah. So what I'm hearing in a way is you, you're, yes, you're articulating a vision in a way, but also that you have to mm. walk your own talk. Yeah. Like, yes, that means 
you can't play the old game of saying, okay, this is what it is exactly. Um, you actually have to enter into that territory of unknowing yes. Yes. potential yourself. Yes. So, you know, like for instance, I know, I would say I know a lot about embodiment. I know a lot about shadow work. I know a lot about refining our attentional capacity. So we notice more and more subtle levels of what we call reality. And I know about being empty enough that new levels of that subtlety emerge. So that's, you know, the path we'll walk. It would be ridiculous to, to you know, not to not follow that, but it will go to an edge where I don't know. I know that there's something about the more we refine our attentional capacity, the more present we are, the more deeper, deeply we listen. That's the edge we want to be on. And so a lot of the early sessions, there are nine sessions, will be about kind of cohering those capacities together mm. in order to prepare us to go right to the edge of the real unknowing. For me, it started, um, I don't know, I go back in my journal and see, but about three years ago on a retreat, I woke up in the morning on my bed cut, looked up in the darkness of the room, saw in big, bold yellow letters, E equals MC squared. And I've never had that happen before. It's like, my first response was, what the hell is that doing here? What is this? <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, I'm on a retreat, pay attention. And it began a process of downloads of stuff I didn't understand. Science, physics, geometry, math, which has never been other than the statistics, you know, around creating a leadership circle has never been anything that I've chosen to study. And so it just wanted to come through. And so I started to try to short this. Um, I go back now to some of that stuff I wrote, having spent three years studying and learning from bleeding edge physicists and it was all accurate. And I don't know how I knew that. And so the, that Einstein, you know, says things like, and he's very precise about it. And he's talked about it a lot and we've largely just shelved it that the intellect has little to do on the road to discovery. 99 times I think and get nothing. I swim in silence and ideas come to me. And that when you get to the leading edge of what physicists are saying about how, how reality is actually working, it fundamentally upends our paradigm of reality. And we, we need that. We're living, most of us, in a mental model that's very outdated. 
and not at all consistent with the fundamentals of how reality actually operates. And I could go on about that, but I, I won't. So this program or this work that we're doing is premised on what's becoming a bow wave in many scientific disciplines around reality as being um, a universal, intelligent, informational field. That it's all information. Energy equals information now in science. E equals I, <laughs> which equals frequency, which equals energy or mass. And so it's information informed, informing form. It's an unbroken wholeness. It's co completely quantum entangled and interrelated. So the, the, um, we're going to be experimenting from that model that we have access to profound intelligence if we can open the pathways. I spent four years in the Barbara Brennan School of Healing and one of the teachers that's gonna be a part of this program is a dean from the Barbara Brennan School, Don Evan Strauss. And in our work together in planning, we're finding out how amazing she is. <laughs> and um, what I learned there was, a whole, was you know, how to open up higher sense perceptions to be able to work in the field, the energetic field of the human body. Uh, but more than that, I learned how to move and channel energy, how to work with energy in the, in the human system. And so I've been spending years incorporating into my contemplative practice an energy circulation practice and an intuition practice. And it's, it continues to astound me when stuff comes through and uh, comes through in complete holes and uh, multiple streams at the same time that I have to sort of tease out and unpack. Uh, it comes through in a language that's eloquent and um, profound. And, and so we think there's an inherent capacity here with some practice of how to, how to open um, that we can sit in that unknowing that we talked about and be informed by an intelligence that's um, massive. I mean, when you get in quantum physics, how much energy is in one cubic centimeter of empty space? And then if you really take that in, it's an astounding number. And then you say, well, that's an infinite number of frequencies or information is energy. Then we're, we're literally what Thoreau said, we're lying in the lap of immense intelligence. We are the receivers of its truth and the organs of its activity. So if that's the reality, how can we open both individually and in our conversations together to bring in 
the future and the innovations that we don't yet know. Because that brings to the mind that question of how, how do you train that capacity? And I'm imagining we could talk about the the path a little bit, you know, like there might be a set of practices that you, you hear you talking about in a way like the journey, you know, we might want to contrast. You've already started to do that with, you know, it just feels in the air like we've reached the end of that Newtonian kind of um, uh, era where we where there's been a huge emphasis on the rational and um, that everything the rational brings, both positive, many, many positive things and logic, but also perhaps some of its limits, you know, and it just like this, this idea of expanding our bandwidth for me really captures something. It speaks to me deeply, you know, that it's just inadequate if we rely on logic and rational thinking alone. So could you speak a bit more about how we, you know, I've, I've put a lot in there. So like both, like how do we cultivate the capacity to open and, and attune in this way you're describing and what kind of things do we have to encounter in ourselves to work with in order to do that? Well, at the very core of all this is, is what we would call presence. So it's a very deep practice that has different parts. Of course, embodiment is a core part. Opening subtle senses is a core part. Working with shadow is a core part, which perhaps we'll come on to talk about. Um, I think, and I said from the beginning, that one of the biggest thresholds that most leaders will encounter is the surrender of control. Because most leaders and most leadership training is, is predicated on some kind of being in control. And in this, as Bob describes it, in order to allow something of a different nature to come through, we have to be willing to tolerate being absolutely in unknowing. And that's a big deal. I mean, it's not a big deal for me because I've loved that for 40 years, actually. <laughs> but in the, in the normal leadership world, it's a very big deal. So a lot of discomfort arises. I'm always, when I work with teams, I try to, to help them be at a point where they can have a meeting and tolerate, we don't know what's happening, we don't know where to go, we feel lost. That's a very mature capacity, that. Because without that, the, the new will never appear. We'll just, we'll keep trying to fix in order not to feel the discomfort of not knowing. So there are very concrete practices. And then there is this kind of um, psychological threshold that needs to be crossed. We need to be willing to sit together in that. Don't quite know where we are, but to, but to pay attention to what is happening during that. That's a very big key. Like we may feel very lost. Let's each of us notice what we notice in ourselves physically, emotionally, subtly. Let's notice what we notice about the group presence or field. Let's stay with that and trust that that's got to be the way. That any way we want to fix this, make it better, we'll get in the way. 
that's a huge practice. And can we do that in state? Mm. So, one of the things they've found in the psychic research is that put two people in separate rooms and have them connect. And their brains start to synchronize. Brainwave patterns synchronize, left and right hemisphere synchronized. Heart rate lowers, they go into a more calm state. So literally, and it always moves in, it always moves from the, the one of greater coherence bringing more coherence into the field of one who's less coherent. Mm -hmm. And so leaders have the capacity. We use the fun phrase, leaders bring the weather, but we literally can access, manage state. And, and that has a quantum or a resonance effect that's actually measured group collective fields have been measured. <laughs> and so what does it mean to sit in the space that Nicholas just described at, at a state which allows greater access to the unknown field, right? Right, right. And so part of the practices that were, and why I brought in uh, Donna is, can we learn to experience different dim energetic dimensions of ourselves mm -hmm. and get greater access to step into them and greater access to energetic flows through the human field. If we really get what quantum is saying, this is a field, it's not material. Einstein said, we've been all wrong about matter. It's energy slowed down to a frequency where it becomes perceptible. Mm -hmm. So it's all a field. And it's, can we learn how to work with that field in a way that accelerates or amplifies our access to information? Mm -hmm. And as we're tolerating <laughs> the disruption or the inherent tension of ambiguity or not knowing when it's essential that we break through. Yeah. And I, I want to say a little bit more in that exactly that context about embodiment, because it's a word we use, <laughs> but I want to hold a flag for how deep that territory is. I don't think we realize mostly the degree to which we've become disembodied. And this path of embodiment, in my experience, is lifelong. I mean, I've been walking it for over 40 years, and it keeps deepening. Very literally, very literally. Like I remember two years ago, I started doing intensive Qigong every day. And after about six months, I remember, no, it was three years ago, because I, I remember being in Heathrow Airport, obviously pre-COVID, 
And I suddenly noticed I'm walking differently. My whole experience of my legs had changed. That's an embodiment. And just in the last week, and I believe it's quite linked to the work we've been doing because we're meeting a lot to prepare this program, I've also noticed I'm walking differently now. It's really interesting. Like there's a different connection with my legs coming down even more. That's a huge gateway to information because a lot of this information, we, the body is like our antenna. We perceive, we feel information through our body as all indigenous cultures did. We know that. But in our development, we, we in our um, development of the rational mind, we gradually abandoned that. And we need to restore the sophistication of the rational mind with a deep embodiment and, of course, an open heart. But embodiment is very critical in this. It's a pathway. It's a major pathway. Major, major pathway. And the interesting thing is that the, the more we become embodied, which is a dropping down, it's like a coming home to our base. You know, in, in my three-year active training, which was following a very kind of particular, quite extreme methodology, famous Polish director, we, in essence, we spent three years opening the pelvis. It might sound strange, but that's what we did for three years. And very intensively. Um, the, the body is a huge portal. But what I wanted to say is that the more we drop down into our base, there's a great paradox. It's that we also fly more. It's a real interesting, I don't fully understand it. I know how much I experienced it, that the more grounded we really are, it's like we're also in a high, high frequency. And it can feel like Grotowski used to say, you get to the point where there is no more body. But you arrive at that point by going so deeply into the body. So I just wanted to, you know, to emphasize what a deep part of the process embodiment is. We were in this recently in one of our meetings and we realized that this human process that we're in is an incarnational process that we're not done. Like incarnation isn't something that happened once. <laughs> we're constantly, I think, working to embody and inhabit more of who we ultimately are. And so the great sages and mystics and saints and shamans have brought into embodiment a wider bandwidth. And it's not just high frequency, although because of the physics of it, there's an equal and opposite. And the energies come up and from both directions in the field. So there's a, the dropping in, the opening of the pelvis allows for the full circulation. And it's not, and Spring Chen, as I know you know, Spring has 
been very clear about that development isn't just this. It's also this. And so the tree grows down into soil and roots and the natural energies and nutrition in order to grow up. It, it would become completely imbalanced otherwise. And so that's the motion. And so when we talk about increasing bandwidth, it's both directions. And so we're more connected to the natural frequencies and order. And if there's any evidence that we're disconnected from the natural order of things, just look at the environmental crisis that's going potentially to destroy civilization. And so we need to both drop, but as you drop, you can, you can actually bring both the more natural frequencies in and the higher frequencies in, and you're now more, much more informed. Right, right. Inform. Informed, inform. Exactly. In mystical language, it's about bringing the light right down into matter. Right, right into what, yeah, what we can call matter. Even if in the leading edge of physics, there is no matter. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's another step. <laughs> I, I get curious about the, you know, we started off the conversation talking about um, reactive to creative. And I know that um, the future of integral is informed by unity is a kind of tagline of what you've created. And so I wonder, you know, how you see the connections with everything you're describing with that move into integral leadership, because I'm hearing this journey of how, you know, one is doing um, that embodied work, like metabolizing the conditioning, the, the, the fractured parts of us that don't allow us to meet the intimacy of reality. And in so doing, we're kind of refining ourselves as an instrument to to remain in that unknowing, to be able to perceive. And, um, but I, but I'm, I'm also thinking, you know, um, there's a real shift when you move out of that creative leadership uh, in the way we relate to um, meaning making, you know, and thinking and, and who we take ourselves to be, you know, our very identity in a sense um, becomes much more fluid or open and um, expanded. I wonder if either of you, does that bring anything up? Does that resonate? Yeah, it does. Go ahead, Bob, then I'll speak to it. Well, the premise, and I think the foundational principle, it's one of the, one of the things we want to experiment with in this workshop is um, a deep dialogue on the condition of the world. Like, what, where are we really? And what are the foundational principles of this new or higher order that needs to be birthed? Well, for me, the, the, the first principle is unity. First principle is that there's only unity. Physics speaks to this, but spiritual traditions have spoken to this. We're struggling 
in so many ways with the presumption of separateness. We're struggling with it with our racial and gender inequality and you know we're struggling with it with the environment we're struggling with it the separative paradigm has run its course so the 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 experiment that we're playing with is you know i've done we've done all the sort of work with the Keegans and Cook Cruders and Jennifer Garvey Burgers and stuff that's been, they've done a lot to say, here's what this integral level self-transforming different names that are used. Here's what this level of consciousness brings in. I think what's not always there, it is in some systems is that there's also a porousness that starts to open. The ego becomes thinner i'm not this monolithic self i'm met the enemy and they are us oh wait a minute there's not there's there's uh more sameness between us so there's this way in which it becomes more and more open to grace to the infusion of higher dimensions of reality or frequencies in the field or however you want to language that both up and down as we've talked about. So uh, we think that the next generation of leadership needs to move to this integral capacity, but informed uh, by higher order and with the capacity to tap that open to that uh, for the, information breakthroughs, the scientific, you know, the technology, the form, the new forms that are going to bring in a very different and necessary future. Mm. So it's informed by the fundamental presumption of unity, if not the tacit realization that comes with practice. Oh my gosh, it is an inherent unity. Mm. No yeah, and actually, you're right. I want to actually add something that I thought you were going to say, which is interesting. Maybe you said it so often that it's no longer interesting for you to say it. <laughs> but I think I think it's very important. So let me say it. <laughs> which is that a key part of the move from creative to integral, as I understand it, is from self-authoring to what is trying to author me. That's a huge, that's not just a little jump, that's a different paradigm altogether. And that's, by the way, where the control issue comes in. Because in the creative level, there's a lot of, I'm really driving and I'm in control and I'm, you know, I'm relatively conscious and so on. This is to what is wanting to author me. How do I listen to that? How do I receive that? And in the end, how do we, what does that call us to do? That's really where we'll get to, we, we hope, towards the end of the program. What is that really calling us, each of us, and collectively to do when we're in that very different consciousness? Because it's a very, very different consciousness. 
I mean, I could say it very simply in an example I was forgiven many times from my time in the theatre, because I think artists know a lot about this. Artists know a lot, but so do scientists. Most scientists, most great scientific discoveries, when you really look, have, have come in a moment like that of something very different happening. But, you know, in the theatre, when I was the director for 20 years, very simply, an actor would come to me with a, a Shakespeare speech and say, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> My answer was always more or less, I couldn't care less what you want to do with this. The only interesting thing is what will it do with you? And when the actor learned the meaning of that, and as we studied over many years, learned to be in that openness, totally embodied, empty openness and would start to speak the words there would be this completely unforeseeable stream come through him or her that's the edge so long as he was thinking i don't know what to do with this no it's not interesting and i think you know all great artists know that they know that they know that whether it's Keith Jarrett or it's Zach Pullman or in all the music, certainly, they understand their channels. They're there to be channels. That's their work. And that's why it's so powerful when you go and see a great musician. You are in actually in the presence of something very close to creation. Like creation is coming through. And that's, I think, the highest, one of the highest purposes of art. I can remember, again, pre-COVID, going to see John McLaughlin, who's a, such a high-level artist in London. And after 20 minutes, I realized I'd been sitting there with this huge grin on my face, like inane grin. And I realized it was because there was just so much energy coming through him. And it was extraordinary to be in the presence of that. Part of the reason I first met Nicholas was um, I knew that this was trying to come through me, this, as I talked about. And I also knew that I needed to be able to presence it, mm. not speak about it, but speak from it. To be an embodied resonance of the very thing we're trying to talk about. And I have a tendency to get caught in my more constricted egoic place of where the focus shifts from, from this to how am I doing? How is it going? Is it going? You know, and, and then I get tight and am I being impressive enough? How's my credibility doing? I have all this going on and it, just constricts. And then I'm working hard to make the connections and, and I don't want to live there anymore. I don't want to do the work that's trying to emerge in this last thir third of my career <laughs> from that place. So we did and have continued to do some shadow work around that. Like what's at the core of that? 
really at the core of that. And this is another practice. Like when you mentioned that much energy pouring through or the ability to surrender that completely, the purpose and the energy of it, the vibration of it, the bigness of it, the will uh, pull up all these parts of you that aren't ready yet, that don't, that go into fear or doubt or get triggered or, and so that work is essential. And it also then opens the field, the fragmented, constrained, they're like resistors in the field frozen energy a lot of different language gets used here that restrict or distort the current constrict the current and so one of the core practices is how do i work with those parts of myself and so the ascending current or the pull of purpose and aspiration has to be downloaded through the descending current right into embodiment and then we hit our shadows we hit our traumas we hit our smaller places and those need to be compassionately uh worked with met 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 felt included welcomed and it's a hard work that in a way so because we all you know it's like the way i see it more and more it's like we all live in a bubble of i and that bubble is created to large part based on what we excluded of all kinds by the way um a lot of different material a lot of it is painful material where we were hurt or wounded or frightened and to go forward, we had to exclude that. We had to freeze it. And then we were in this bubble that could go forward often very well. But it also contains higher functions that we also excluded because maybe they weren't welcome. Maybe in my family life, if I started talking about spirits or I was told to stop being so stupid or whatever, not let alone my creativity, you know, the, I think it was Marion Woodman or some very famous woman psychoanalyst who said that at school she painted the sky green and her teacher shamed her and she didn't pick up a paintbrush for 40 years. You know, so all parts get excluded. And then, of course, we have the intergenerational streams as well that are part of what we call the shadow and more collective streams, which are more obvious in certain tribes let's say if you're jewish or if you're african-american by definition you're carrying in your in the very fabric of who you are you're carrying terror for instance and unless so long as that remains frozen your capacity to become fully online is reduced your capacity to receive the downloads and that as as bob said that they come right in is reduced because they hit this frozen layers these frozen layers so i think it's very i think it's very unique in the program and in bob's model 
that there is purpose and there is shadow because it's very rare. In my experience, it's very rare to do real shadow work. We talk a lot about it, but real shadow work means we dare to feel more. We dare to feel those places that are frightened, angry, uh, sad. But there's a tremendous opening as we do that. It takes a lot of real holding, a lot of safety. And um, we, we, you know, we really intend in some of the sessions to really open the space for that. Because also when in a group where one person dares to go there, it has a very strong effect on the whole group field. It's very interesting. Like people have light bulbs suddenly, even though it looks like just one person is going through what seems like a very personal process. This is where we touch into a unity in a different way as well that we're in this unified fabric. And when something really opens in one person, they dare to feel something that they haven't felt for years, let's say. It opens the whole energy field of the group. Mm. So that's also a very important part of the program. It's... um... The other end of the bandwidth, if you will, of unity. In other words, mm. how do we how do we become remembered, mm. made an unbroke the unbroken wholeness more embodied in me? Exactly. And so um, that, and then of course, <clears throat> what remains in shadow will get embedded in the new system. If we're about how do we bring in a new order? How do we lead the organizations of the future? Uh, Those distortions that are in the field um, that are intergenerational or personal cannot not be built into the fabric of the future. And so this uh, dynamic between being informed by what's trying to come through, activating the very stuff that isn't up to that and then working that so it actually can come through and then you're embedding into the new order a much more coherent higher order structure yeah 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 and we i mean i'll just say a little final word on on that shadow work we in my view waste a tremendous amount of time thinking we have to change, transform, heal feelings when actually the most important thing is that we get safe enough to feel them. And then what Bob is saying naturally happens, like there's an alchemical process that happens. The other thing I was noticing earlier was I hit this, I think, in our meeting yesterday, Nicholas. Mm. Um, it's a nice idea to say moving from being authored, from being self-authored to being authored. It's a nice, right? And everybody goes, ah, yeah. But there's an intimate relationship between being authored and that unknowing like if to really allow yourself to be authored is to not know. Like fundamentally, I don't know. 
And that's a scary place or can be, it holds a lot of tension. And so that's related to the shadow work is how do I hold that? Or do I react to that? Do I go into a, do I contract? Do I, right? And so this notion of dialogue, which I now think of as collective intuition, how do we create a resonant field in the way we interact that's at a bandwidth that holds a wide enough bandwidth to be informed by and it may show up in Nicholas or it may show up in you, Joel, or it may show up in me, the insight, the breakthrough. We don't know how it's going to show up, but we're in a conversation together at state, each of us managing state and holding the energetic. Uh, we construct that conversation beyond the edge of what we know. So that something new can emerge that when I've seen it happen in a group, it brings tears to your eyes. It's unexpected. It's beyond what any of us came into the room with. It's worthy of my deepest commitment. Uh, people sign up for it on the spot. And so that's, Dialogue is another practice, and it presumes this shift. To really do it well, it presumes this shift from the self-authored position where I've really worked hard on my position, my values, my ethic, my right, and I am championing it to the next phase, which is when I recognize I'm a collection of shadows. Right, this whole ecological self well then all of a sudden my position is partial not whole and the conflict in the room or on the world some of these embittered conflicts is evidence that my position is partial so i move in with less of a tendency to project an enemy because i'm owning my shadow and I say, oh, I've met the enemy and they are us. Oh, I have that in me too. I also presume that my position is not the whole story. And I'm there to really learn and listen. And I'm stepping and learning how to hold the unknowing at stake. Hmm. That's the <clears throat> together. And that's what we're experimenting with around putting it all together in a dialogue that ups the probability of a surprising breakthrough. I, I feel inspired. There's um, a lot of things I just want to kind of weave into a question, which is um, in a way like just, I want to come back to that point you mentioned, Bob, about speaking from, because I think that's something that, uh, I know a lot. I, I mean, more and more people who are increasingly inspired by that because they feel the deep meaning and fulfillment that comes from um, getting out of the way or, or letting go of that strategic self that's, you know, um, wanting to make something happen or, or even just speaking about things. And they, they drop into that space where something starts to, um, there's a kind of gnosis 
happening. They're speaking from the experience that they're feeling. And um, I, I just like what you said about um, the fear, because, you know, I haven't spoken about this a lot, but in, in this year, you know, I, I've spoke to both of you about this process I had where I, I, I felt deep terror and, and a dissolving into the unknown. And actually, yeah, that was terrifying. And um, it felt like my practice was doing me, you know, uh, I wasn't, the shift was like, it was Joel doing his practice and it was all good. And, you know, I was like, can you make progress? And then suddenly something opened up and the practice was doing me or something was doing me. And that was terrifying. And so um, this comes to the question, which is, I hear you talk about the collective. And I think that's incredibly important here because um, for one, like I've seen in groups now oriented around presencing together, how alive people become in that place. And they're like, fuck, this is, I've not, I've not felt like this together with people, maybe in my whole life, you know? Um, but um, my question is like, that: what do you see the importance of the group? Because I think this journey, I'm like, how, how do um, leaders take to this journey? On one hand, it sounds deep, you know, it sounds deep and tough and, highly transformational and maybe takes time but i wonder in a group if there's a kind of scaffolding that takes place that allows people to access these places which then acts as a kind of um you know injection in the process so i guess my question isn't that clear but i think i've said enough to have at least each one of you riff off that you know um, in a way i'm wondering how leaders take to this and what the importance of groups is and yeah well, I think there's no question at all that a group massively amplify the process. Meaning that, <clears throat> let's take a senior leadership team, if they were all practicing at least the pathway we know we want to unfold and the practices of attention, presence, and therefore able to have at least some meetings of course, a lot of the time they have to deal with very operational processes, but let's say they have at least some regularity of meetings where they are willing to sit really on the edge of what they know and stop trying to fix that. What can happen there is way, way bigger than will typically happen in one individual, meaning the group body, it's the same, you know, when I did a lot of collective trauma work, as you know, with Thomas Kubel, if we were looking directly into the Holocaust, I mean, the horror of that, 200 people doing that together creates something much, much bigger than you can do on your own. So there is a group body that's essential in all of this, whether it's looking into the darkness or accessing the higher dimensions of intelligence so i think we will really discover that and we definitely hope well i hope let's say that leaders will really take away new practices for their teams that happens already in, when i work with leadership teams but this will be a big amplification of that we know this we know this. We've all been in the room when something profound happens, when the group becomes galvanized around a focus. 
that matters. We've, we know that we know that experience and we know how powerful it is. What we don't, what we don't know or lack is a model of reality that makes that fundamental. Like that is it. And it is a highly generative, creative state, collective state that's very, very powerful and generative. And magic can happen in that. And we don't know how to replicate it consistently. So that's the practice we think. Now, will leaders take to it? <laughs> I think so. We've had tremendous response. And we're targeting leaders who aren't working the terrain of reactive to creative. That's a very important terrain and necessary and fundamental. We're really targeting leaders who are highly creative, very effective, and open to the question of how do I really take my leadership further? One of the CEOs that's in the workshop, I talked to him beforehand, He's like, okay, I'm doing this and I'm really good at it. I'm running a big organization. But what's next for me? I can do this successfully the rest of my life, but what do I want to do with all this talent that I've created? What's the greatest contribution I can put that toward? And so there's a tipping point. We think there's a tipping point group of leaders that are willing to really explore and open and move into the space that you described, Joel, that, that that's why it's called a hero or heroine's journey. Really like that terror you meet where now you're at the effect of it. It's now working you. That's the terrain we're opening. And I think there is a resonance and a hunger. We've been moved or touched by the response. I've been waiting for this. Yeah, the program filled within three weeks of us putting it out, which I think we were surprised by. But it was very affirming because it's uncompromising if you read the document. <clears throat> yeah. And in fact, we had a waiting. I think we even have a waiting list. But I spoke about my fear too, Joel. So there's also that part of me which goes, we're way too far out on a limb here. Mm. Um, they're going to you know, what universe are you in? <laughs> and that's a voice that's been in me my whole career. So it's not new. Um, and I've just chosen to let it jabber away at me and keep moving forward. But it's, it's there too. Mm. I'm grateful that you are 
I mean, like I said, it's highly resonant with me, this vision you hold and uh, that you're, you know, you're pioneering and, and, and putting these programs out because, you know, you'll, you'll be doing valuable work there. People will be learning. You'll be learning what works or what happens and what unfolds. And so I, I think, you know, that's, that's the way we need to do this now, isn't it? You know, there is a through experience. It's, an, it's revealing itself not through the theorizing. Um, and I, I guess like what I'm left with is, is like um, for people listening who do resonate with this vision, like where, where would you invite them to go? You know, and that could be to your websites, but it could be anywhere, you know, it could be um, to even things you've been reading. I know you mentioned, Bob, you've been exploring um, unified science theory and, I don't know, you know, like I think people, I think I'm just guessing, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who are like, this touches me, this resonates with me. So how can they fuel that, that the thing that's touched inside of them? Before answering that, by the way, I think it would be great that we come back in six months time and talk after, yeah. we've, been to, after we've been through the program. It's a good idea. Well, we'll have learned a lot. <laughs> we'll have learned a lot. <laughs> well, uh, I don't. I don't have a really good answer. I think Nicholas has got his leader is healer website, which is available. Um, this is new and emergent in terms of our website. We haven't really put this out yet publicly. Mm -hmm still in the incubation phase. Um, people I think are probably familiar with Humanity Rising, which is a daily uh, conversation going on um, with thought leaders from this perspective. There's the um, Resonant Science Foundation which is formed around a physicist that's pretty leading edge, but it opens up a lot of this territory. Not so much the practices we've been describing, but the science. Um, Jude Curavan, good friend. Um, uh, she's got a movement that she's working. She wrote a book called The Cosmic Hologram, which is a book on the leading edge of physics. And it was one, she's been very helpful to me in understanding some of this stuff. So you can look up her book, A Cosmic Hologram, and look her up. And she's got some um, ways she's trying to create a global conversation around paradigm of unity and what's emerging. Terry O'Fallon's work um, on stages move, moves very directly into in the in the what we're calling integral, what she calls meta-aware, meta, the meta-tiers, levels of awareness. It's not just one. Um, and some pretty good descriptions and experientials around how to access or what it's like to access some of these meta awarenesses. And one of the things we haven't talked about is that because they're at a higher frequency, they're also 
in physics, higher frequencies, higher energy, and more energy and information density. So there's just more information. And as you know from your computer, the higher the megahertz on your processor, the faster it's processing. So you're breaking into a more information-rich and faster processing mind, level of mind. And that... Um, uh, so she's working with that um, in her meta-awarenesses work, which is, I think, very powerful and very instructive because she says that when people start to touch into these, they actually, one of the markers is they can't complete their sentences because there's so much coming in so fast and they haven't learned how to process it and make it linear. And so I think Wilbur talks about overmind or supermind. Yeah. There is a, a higher order thinking capacity that can come online where we literally are processing more information faster and more holistically. So those are some bodies of work that are going on. That's a very comprehensive answer to your question. John. Yeah, I mean, that was great. great. You know, you said um, you didn't know, but yeah, I don't know if you want to add. I'm, I'm aware of the time, Nicholas, but... Um, I'd, well, uh, Bob met reference my my work on Leader as Healer. Um, my book called Leader as Healer, A New Paradigm for 21st Century Leadership will be published in March. And it's very detailed um, about a lot of what we've spoken about. And it's also a kind of manual of practice. Um, so that's a good process. And I, my publisher has just asked me to get what they call advanced praise. Um, and what's coming back is actually quite some beyond what I could have hoped for. So it seems to be landing. Um, but that's got a lot of material in it that's very detailed and precise and practical. Mm. I think you guys are doing here. You're leading out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly as well. Uh, yeah. So um, much of your work, you hold a wide bandwidth to meet coaches where they are in their practice, right? But you're also out on this edge as an organization or, or pushing into this edge. So um, there's a lot of good resource, right? Mm. Huge on your organization. Yeah. 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 We're going to have our own program coming up for coaches, which I think does, I mean, Nicholas will be teaching on it as well, but um, walk into this territory. So um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of coming back in six months. I think this is a great place for us to, to come to a close, uh, but I, um, I really appreciate the, the frequency or the resonance of our conversation today. I felt that palpably. And so I want to say thanks. Thank you. Thank you to you, Joel. Really. Always a pleasure. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Bye.